Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1223 in that Bible. 1 Peter chapter 4, we are uh, getting to the end of our sermon series that we've been walking through this fall uh, that's called Gifted, Walking in What We've Been Given. We've been looking at the spiritual gifts and things that God has given to us in order to glorify his name, to help spread the gospel, and to help us bless our brothers and sisters. And so we've been doing this for the last number of weeks. If you've missed any of these messages, they're all online. We have audio and video up there. We'll wrap it up next week, and we have taken the last several weeks to look at specific groups of gifts that we see in the Bible uh, that the Bible talks about in different ways, and just unpacking what are they, and just a a simple explanation of how they work. And part of the reason we're doing this, uh, the main reason really, is so that we can start to see where we fit. What are our gifts? What does that look like? Our key verse has been 1 John 2.20, which says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. If you are a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has anointed you. He has equipped you. He has gifted you. He wants to work in you and through you, again, to glorify his name, to help spread the gospel, and to bless and encourage your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so we are wanting to discover, well, what's my anointing then? How am I gifted by God? And we've been having great discussions out of these series. Some of you have had the experience as we have gone through this of saying, hey, that sounds like me. I didn't know that that was a spiritual gift, but I see myself in that. Some of you have had the experience of saying, well, I maybe don't have that gift, but there's something in me that is drawn towards it. I'm going to start praying into that. I'm going to start seeking after it. And then there's some of us who are saying, you know what? I'm not quite sure where I fit still, and that's okay, because not everything is going to be solved necessarily neat and tidy in this series but we wanted to present the gifts and then it's our job to explore them. It's our job to try them out. It's our job to see if we can find ourselves in there and that will be an ongoing thing. Uh, This is just the teaching part that is meant to get us going. And so our hope is you are starting to get a sense of where do I fit into all of this? One of the things that we have been talking about specifically is that our God is not a cookie cutter God. He does not just create us all the same. Not every church is the same. Not every denomination is the same. Not every minister is the same. You are different than anyone else on earth. Even if you have a specific gift, if you say my main gift is serving, you are not necessarily serving exactly the same way the person sitting beside you with the serving gift is. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God has created you as you. As we said last week, this is the same God who created 100,000 different kinds of beetle. Just the beetle, there's 100,000 different kinds. That's how creative he is. Uh, He gets bored easily with repetition, it would seem, when he's making things. And so God has made us uniquely, and we are wanting to understand better uh, who we are and how he has made us to be so that we can live out of that, because there is freedom that happens when we start to live out of who he has made us to be. So that's part of the heartbeat of this series. Uh, As we go through this list today, um, we were stuck with uh, a bunch of gifts in the Bible that don't fit into any of the lists of gifts that we have looked at over the last number of weeks. There's just some miscellaneous gifts scattered around. So I have cleverly titled this message, Miscellaneous Gifts. Uh, That's what I could come up with. And so we're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, That'll springboard into some other things, page 1223 in the Pew Bible. And let's read our text together, starting in verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. 
Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So, Peter, uh, we've been looking mostly at what Paul has to say about the gifts in previous weeks. Peter has a little bit to say here as well. And he's putting it all in the context, really, of the end times. He says the end of everything is near. And that's a theme in the teachings of Jesus. It's a theme certainly throughout the New Testament that we don't really know how much time we have. Part of our faith is that Jesus is returning and we don't know when. Uh, the other just practical side of that, we don't know when he might call us home at any given time either. So so time is not something that we can make the presumption that we have. And so in light of that idea, Peter says, the end of everything is coming in one way or another. Either Jesus is returning or we are going to go see him. But either way, we don't have unlimited time. And so in light of that, he says, make sure you are praying, make sure you are sober-minded, make sure you love one another, and he says, make sure you are walking in your gifts. Make sure you are using those gifts, because we cannot presume that we can just get to that stuff later. Uh, there, is, there is a time limit for every human on earth. And so in light of that understanding, make sure you are walking in your gifts. In verse 10, he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So there's a gift given to you and, and likely several gifts that are there not just for your sake, but so that you can be a blessing to others. We do this as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And that is beautiful. That God's grace wants to work through you in these gifts. As you walk in these gifts, God's grace is moving through you to bless other people. And we want to be faithful stewards of that. That when we serve somebody, God's grace encounters that person through our serving. When we encourage somebody, God's grace moves through us as we encourage that person. When we teach somebody or lead somebody or show mercy to somebody or are generous to somebody, God's grace is moving through us to bless that person, and we want to be faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, the many ways in which God's grace can move through us. And we said last week, uh, we don't have all the gifts. We all have a few of the gifts. There are many gifts, and we want to figure out what ours are. But as we walk in our particular gifts, we're under no obligation to walk in gifts that we don't have. That's just unreasonable. If you don't have a leadership gift, God's not expecting you to be a leader. If you don't have an encouragement gift, he's not expecting you to lead the way in encouragement. You're under no obligation to walk in a gift that you don't have. You are under a fairly large obligation to walk in the gifts that you do have because we need to be faithful stewards. We need to be faithful to walk out what he has given us. And so the reason why we're doing this series is so that we can all be doing that more and more. So today's uh, gifts are just kind of randomly scattered throughout the Bible. Uh, they show up in different ways and in different places, and we're just gonna touch on them 
you may feel as we go through this that you say, hey, that's me. That sounds like me. I have that gift. Uh, and you might say, no, I don't have that gift. But as we've been saying through the series, even if you don't have it, you still need to know what they are. Because where you don't have gifting, that's where you need to lean on your brothers and sisters who do have that gifting. And in that way, all the gifts get covered. So first one we're going to look at is administration. That's a gift that shows up a few times in both Testaments. One of the best examples of that is Joseph in the Old Testament. And if you remember Joseph's story, just very briefly, uh, Joseph is a young man. He's a prophetic man. There's words promised about him, uh, but he's cocky. He's a little immature, and his character hasn't caught up to his gifting yet. And so uh, his brothers get jealous because he's kind of bragging about how great he's going to be. And as he does that, his brothers uh, stab him in the back. They sell him into slavery. Joseph is taken to a foreign land, and uh, people lie about him. He gets thrown into prison, but the story of Joseph continually says God was with him. God's favor was with him. The gift of God never left, even though he was in a rough place. So while he is in prison, Joseph gains favor in the eyes of the jailer. Uh, it says that even though he's a prisoner, he's actually helping to run the prison because the favor of God is with him. And then Pharaoh, who is the king, he is the, the king, the leader of the empire, uh, has some disturbing dreams. But Joseph has this reputation as one who can hear from God, one who can interpret. And so he does that for the Pharaoh. The nature of the dreams is Egypt is about to have seven years of abundance like it's never seen before, followed by seven years of famine that are just going to destroy everything. And so God, in his grace, is giving Pharaoh the heads up through Joseph. And Pharaoh's so impressed with Joseph, so impressed with his gifting, that he puts Joseph in charge of everything and says, okay, there is a, a famine coming down the road. Uh, you make sure we're taken care of. You take care of it. And so Joseph becomes in charge of this great plan to save the nation. And so it's made very clear that Joseph, it's not that he's such a smart guy. It's not that he has all of these giftings himself, but that God is with him. And one of the things that God God gave Joseph was an amazing administrative ability. And administration we're defining as organizing and implementing kingdom plans. Organizing and implementing. So when Joseph's in prison, his administrative gift is showing up. He's helping run the prison. He is helping administrate the prison. And then when he's uh, found favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, he begins to help run the nation. And so he has this plan that in the seven years of abundance, we're going to build storehouses. We're going to take a portion of the abundance and put it away. So when the famine comes, we're not going to lack for anything. We will be well taken care of in the famine years. And that's exactly what happened. The whole world was falling apart, but Egypt is thriving because Joseph was walking in his gifting of administration. He's organizing and implementing what's going to happen. And so if this is you, if you have an administrative gift, you're probably good at that. You're probably good at organizing things. You're good at executing things. You are uh, uh, good at maybe running an event or organizing people. Uh, typically are detail-oriented. Maybe you're good with numbers, with finances, and managing that. There's a lot of different ways that this can show up. But in church, we desperately need administrative people because they are the ones that make Make sure things happen and they make sure we're on track and they make sure uh, stuff is organized well it's not sloppy we don't miss things things don't fall through the cracks so we desperately need administrative people in the church to help us run an event to help us take care of our money to help make schedules and then even just practical things like that so there's a lot of ways that the gift can show up and so in church life, uh, we have visionaries, right? People who are prophetic or people who are apostolic. And they are the ones saying, here's where we need to go. God is leading us over.
over here, sometimes the administrative people uh, are saying, well, we're just, here's the reality of where we're at, here's the resources that we have. And so sometimes vision and administration can bump heads. And I've seen that actually, I think, in every church I've ever been a part of. Because the visionaries are saying, here's where God's leading us, let's go. And the administrators are saying like, well, we only have this much money. And the visionaries say, you got no faith, what's the matter with you? And the administrators say, you've got no wisdom, what's the matter with you? So our vision people we need, and they live in the world of possibility, our administrators live in the world of reality, and we need both together, because if it's all vision with no reality, then we'll blow the church budget in like three weeks, and we'll just be stuck. If it's all reality with no vision, then we'll have a really well-organized place that never moves forward anywhere. And so vision and administration need to lean towards each other. When that happens, amazing things can happen. And so the administrators keep us on track. They make sure stuff gets done. And uh, again, with their eye for numbers, their eye for detail, their eye for uh, organizing, they just are a tremendous blessing to the people of God. So if that's you, uh, there's lots of places we can find that. In our church, there are, uh, we've had Sherry, who's just stepped down. Sherry was our chief administrator for many years. Uh, Susan is there, and Sarah Lashkar now is stepping up into some of this. And so their job is to help keep the administration of the church on track. But this can show up in a life group. This can show up uh, in running a ministry and helping to run a ministry within the church. There's a lot of different sides to that. Uh, but we need people who can organize, and we need people who can implement. Uh, as I was teaching on this earlier, somebody said, oh, so you mean my nurse? nerdy qualities of organization can be used by God. And I said, yeah, nerd it up for the kingdom of God. Nerd it up for Jesus. Uh, find a way that we can use that gift to help make sure stuff happens and stuff doesn't slip through the cracks. Next gift, craftsmanship and artistry. We find this in the story of Exodus uh, as God is getting ready to build the tabernacle. Exodus 31, God is speaking. He says, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom and with understanding, with knowledge and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. And so uh, the tabernacle needs to get built. The Ark of the Covenant needs to get built. There are different artifacts that need to get built. God says, I'm going to pour my spirit into Bezalel. I'm going to pour my spirit into him, and I'm going to give him the creativity. I'm going to give him the skills. It's not just going to be that you would look at him and just say, wow, he's a really great guy who's well-suited for this. God makes clear, my spirit is going to give the creativity. My spirit is going to give that skill, and he will do where I lead him to do uh, in order to glorify me. So when we talk about this gifting, we're really talking about designing and creating. And so for people who are wired this way, uh, it might show up in art, it might show up in photography, it might show up in, in working with your hands and creating things that way, it might show up in uh, different crafts uh, and craftsman-like activities, different types of things. But we're talking about, again, not just a natural skill, but God can breathe through us, God can give us creativity, God can help us to see these things. And so we have a man in our church named Ron Bartell, and most of you would know Ron, but if you don't know Ron, uh, Ron is a lifelong member of this church, literally, he's been here his whole life. And he, many years ago, started a business called Bartell Machines, and Bartell Machines uh, creates machines. And so a company will come and say, we have a problem in our, in our industry with this or that. Uh, can you help us find a solution? And so when I visited the shop once, there was a company that manufactured pens, and Ron and his team were designing a machine that would put the cap on the pens at an efficient, quick speed. And so they were able to do that quickly, and that unpacked uh, what they could do to solve that problem for that company. And 
And so Ron is a designer. Ron is a creator. And years ago, we weren't using this language specifically, but uh, I had preached a sermon on the spiritual pathways, which says we all uh, come to feel close to God in different ways. So some of us feel close to God in worship. Uh, if you remember this teaching, some of us feel close to God through the word and through study. Some of us, it's through nature. And so we all feel close to God in different ways. And we want to walk in the way that we feel closest to God. And Ron said to me after that sermon, uh, I didn't actually feel like I felt close to God in any of the ways you described, but he said, I feel really close to God when I'm creating, like when I'm designing something. And so we had a conversation about that and said, well, that makes sense because God is a creator, right? God is the creator. And there is some of us that he just breathes his creativity through. And so Ron said, I just feel alive when I'm doing that. And we thought that makes sense. But we're really, we're talking about this type of gifting, that, that the spirit can come and, and help us design and help us create. I have a friend who started a graphic design company a number of years ago, and he called it 313. And it was from that scriptural passage, Exodus 31.3, where God says, I'll give you my spirit and you'll have all of this creativity because he felt like God was leading him to start this business and God was going to bless him in this business. And so this friend who never went to school for this, who was never officially trained in this, uh, eventually was doing work for CBC and the Globe and Mail. The UN eventually was calling him and he was doing web design for them and different things. And so he just saw it all as this is just the spirit of God who is giving me favor the Spirit of God who's giving me ideas, the Spirit of God who's giving me creativity and the ability to execute that. And so uh, maybe you've had the experience where you've seen a work of art or you've, you've listened to a piece of music or, or you've experienced something where it can just fill you with awe, right? Like there's some, especially like in the Middle Ages, these painters said, we're going to create artwork that glorifies God, uh, Michelangelo and Leonardo and all of these giants. And they created these big, beautiful, stunning things that pointed to him. I've been to Europe and uh, on ministry trips, and when we were there, uh, we were in Vienna, and we went to a, into a thousand-year-old church, and it was all just stone and glass, and the stone had, like, flecks of gold in it, and just everything was beautiful, and I understand, like, God doesn't need that, obviously, right? We could meet in a shoebox, and the presence of God could be there. God does not need uh, a big building, and back then, um, you know, the kings and queens of Europe would pay for these things, and so there was just kind of a blank check, and they could do whatever. It's hard to imagine what, you know, what that would look like paying for that ourselves as a local church, because uh, it's unbelievably expensive. But as I stood there, I remember going, ah, I know God doesn't need this, but man, there was something about they took this building and they made it an act of worship. They took the design of this building, they took the stained glass, they took the structure of it and the color and the detail uh, and the ornateness, and they said, we're going to build this to remind us of who our God is. And there, there was just something to that that was fresh for me. I come from the Pentecostal church, which is like, we'll meet in a barn, and as long as the Holy Spirit's there, who cares, right? Like, we'll literally do that. Um, this was a totally different experience for me, but we believe that God is creative, he is the creator, and there are some of us, he will breathe his creativity through and that is part of your spiritual gift. Hospitality shows up again in a few different ways in both Testaments. Hebrews 13.2 says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Uh, and he's talking about Abraham in the Old Testament. Abraham thought he was making dinner for three guys. It turns out uh, they were angels and they had a message from God for him. If Abraham had shut the door on them, he might have missed out on something amazing. So hospitality, again, these are just simple definitions, will define as welcoming, hosting, or otherwise making others comfortable. 
that these are people who often open their home for meals, open their home to host a group, uh, open their home to, to make someone feel welcome, or they are greeters at the front door, uh, the first contact point as people come to the church. They are there welcoming, they are serving coffee in the cafe, they're walking around. Uh, it's one of the nice things about Meadowbrook, people walk around with just plates of espressos, right, and just come around uh, and bring them right to you. Such service in the church. And so there are people who just say, we want to make others feel welcome here. We want to make others feel comfortable here because the Bible says that this is a family and that's not language we typically uh, use in the way that the Bible does because we say like oh yeah it's the church family like I'll, I'll see them whenever I see them uh, it's just a group I go to once a week it's like no when the Bible says we're family it means we look at each other as family like as flesh and blood family that's the picture that scripture gives us scripture radically redefines the word family and Jesus says your family is not just your flesh and blood anymore your family is your brothers and sisters in the Lord and so if I say I love Chris as my brother it's not just like hey bro fist bump like we use brother as meaning just a friend but it's no I'm to love Chris as if he's my brother my actual flesh and blood brother and I'm to care for him as if he's my flesh and blood I'm to sacrifice for him like I would for my flesh and blood brother that this is family in that sense so people with the hospitality gifting are the ones who help us to feel like it's family they help us to feel like we are part of the family and again that gift can show up in some of the examples that I mentioned and sometimes it can be even just you know what I'm gonna go bring food to someone when they're sick because that's what family would do I'm gonna go bring food to the new neighbor down the street because that's what family would do I'm gonna give someone a call just to check in and say hi because that's something that family would do and so people like this are crucially important in the life of a church because if that's not happening then we're all just a bunch of strangers who hang out together once a week and this is something that Meadowbrook has worked on a lot and both Mesh and I have talked to you about this and what's exciting about it is I don't know if you've noticed your elbow room the church is growing uh, new people are coming and especially this fall we are seeing the numbers go up and that's exciting we need people to make sure all our visitors are are feeling that connection are feeling welcomed here and that's not just for a few people with a gift we can all do better at that but as people are coming we just finished our pathway class uh, which is an introductory class for people who are newer and people who are attending that class were letting us know and saying oh we did feel so warmly welcomed here when we came on a Sunday morning and and you know so and so invited us to a life group and so and so uh, invited us to open house or whatever and and that's so good to hear as a pastor oh that's just like proud dad like it's just way to go guys amazing and so we all have a job to do in this but for those of us who are gifted that way I would say open up your home get on the door to greet uh, find a way work at the hub or serve coffee or whatever but find a way to use that gift to help others feel comfortable to help others feel like they're part of the family it's such an important gift in the life of a church Missionary, the Bible talks about. These are those who are called to go. In Acts chapter 13, 2, uh, they're in a prayer meeting, the apostles. It says, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. It's not just Barnabas and Saul say, hey, we have a great idea. Let's go talk about Jesus in another country. This is a Holy Spirit appointment. This is a Holy Spirit anointing. The Holy Spirit says, I am sending you to the nations. And they had tremendous success as they went to the nations. So when we talk about a missionary, we're talking about someone who ministers across cultural lines. 
who doesn't just stay home but actually goes somewhere where they cross a cultural line. Usually we think about it in terms of going to a different country, but that's not necessarily the case. Uh, but it's a different culture. And so not everyone is called to be a missionary in this sense, right? Because someone has to bring Jesus to Leamington and Kingsville and the area as well. But some of us are called to go to the nations. And so when we talk about a missionary, uh, even that word, sometimes we'll add on these days uh, cross-cultural missionary to talk about this. Because we don't want anyone to feel like just because they're not going to the nations, they're not participating. We are all called to work in the mission of God, right? We are all called to be witnesses. We are all called to point to Jesus. We all have a mission field that's on the door as you go out. Uh, we all have a place of influence where we can point people to Jesus. But some of us are specifically called and anointed by the Holy Spirit to cross those lines. And so one of our missionaries that we support as a church is Derek Parento. And we've had him here many times. And Derek ministers. He hasn't left the country, but he's in northern Ontario, and he's ministering to First Nations people up there. And so as Derek is doing that, uh, it's really miraculous what's happening, because Derek is a white Christian man. And for the First Nation people, they are rightly nervous about white Christian men, because white Christian men for several hundred years have done terrible things to them, sometimes in the name of Jesus. And so for Derek to go in there on his own is a really bad idea. And yet, because Derek is going as he believes he's been called by the Spirit and anointed by the Spirit to do it, he has found tremendous favor there. They trust him. They like him. Uh, he's planted multiple house churches there, and then people listen to him. They come to him for advice. Uh, they really honor him, and he'd be the first to tell you, that's not me. That has to be the Holy Spirit. He says, honestly, it's not like, I, I don't know what I'm doing most of the time. But the Holy Spirit is leading me there. And as he's there, they have seen healings. They have seen demons driven out. They are seeing people set free from addictions. They are seeing many come to Jesus because uh, he is in step with the Holy Spirit. And, and he is doing what he has been called to do. So when we talk about a missionary, that is what we are talking about. Boldness, I stuck in there. This shows up Old and New Testament as well. Uh, Acts 4, the apostles are gathered in a prayer meeting again. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. This is a time in church history when to be a Christian could very well mean that you die. Uh, they are persecuted like crazy, and, and death is around the corner for all of them. And yet, even with that being the case, they don't hold back. They get up and they preach boldly. They, the boldness is there to go out and to share the good news about Jesus Christ. And so there is this boldness that can come upon us. Some of us are bold just by nature. It's just our personality. But there's a Holy Spirit boldness there. This is acting in a confidence beyond oneself. So it wouldn't be that impressive if just a naturally bold, outspoken person walked around and they were bold and outspoken. You would just say, well, I know that person. That's just how they are. Uh, it's sometimes fun and surprising when we see the ones who are meeker, who are quieter, who are gentler, who all of a sudden can, can speak with a boldness or act with a boldness that they don't normally have. So in the Old Testament, there is King Saul. Uh, and King Saul uh, starts off great. He's humble. He's spirit-filled. He's prophetic. He loves the Lord. Uh, he ends really badly as sin kind of gets its claws in him, as he refuses to repent, as he goes deeper in his sin. Uh, Saul, if you ever want to look up his story, King Saul in the Old Testament. It's just a fascinating story of what sin can do. Because when he starts off, he is so humble and so meek that when they went to crown him king, he wouldn't even come out. 
uh, he was hiding in the other room. He was just too scared to take the step. And, and yet, as he walks with God several times, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he became bold. This meek, gentle guy all of a sudden had this boldness that wasn't his and he would lead an army or he would confront evil or, or whatever it was in the situation. So this, listen, I think this is a gift. Some of us maybe have it naturally. I also think this is a gift that can visit us temporarily when we need it sometimes. And maybe you've had that experience where, uh, wow, I just said that at work. I don't know where that came from. Uh, that can be a Holy Spirit boldness that rises up. And that's something to pray for, certainly, because almost everybody says, I know I should talk about Jesus more, but uh, I just don't know how to do it at work. I'm just not sure what, you know, what to say. There's that boldness piece missing. And so if there's a Holy Spirit boldness available, I think it's probably worth asking for because we could all use it from time to time. Physical strength is a weird one, and I just threw it in there because it is biblical. Uh, and the story we have is of Samson in Judges, uh, the book of Judges. And so Judges 14.6 says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore a lion apart with his bare hands. And we often picture Samson in movies and in art as this, you know, super jacked guy. He's got tanning oil all over him, right? Super muscular and shiny. And yet the Bible says really clearly, every time he performs an act of strength, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then he did it. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and then he did that great thing. So I sometimes wonder, maybe Samson just looked like a guy. Maybe he just looked like a normal guy. And then when the Spirit came, he did these amazing things. And so physical strength, again, I don't know if I've, I can't say that I've seen this in my own life or witnessed this, um, but it is biblical. It is in there that the Holy Spirit can come upon us, apparently, and there can be physical strength. Uh, we're defining it as just acting in supernatural strength. So you know how there are stories. Um, you'll hear a story of like, like a mom who like lifted a car, right? Because her kid was trapped underneath. So I did some research into that this week, and there are a number of stories of that happening. Uh, those types of things where someone act in a way, acted in a way that just wasn't possible. And some of these stories were written about in you know reputable newspapers that had done their homework, periodicals. And one story I came across just stuck out at me. And it didn't say specifically that this family was Christian, but it told the story of a farmer who had two teenage daughters, 16 and 14 and he was on his tractor and he was trying to pull out a tree stump and as the the tractor was straining his foot slipped off the clutch and the whole thing flipped over and it landed on him so the steering column was pinning him to the ground and this 3,000 pound tractor is resting on his chest and so he feels the breath starting to leave his body, and he's able to make a little bit of noise, and his two girls come running, 16 and 14. Now, these are not like bodybuilders, okay? I saw the picture, and they look like you would expect a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old girl. And again, I don't know if they're Christians, but one of the girls said, they went down to try and lift it, and she said, I was just praying the whole time, help me God, help me God, help me God, help me God. And this little skinny 16 and 14-year-old girls lifted the tractor enough that he was able to wiggle his way out and he was saved. And so that could very well be this, I think, at work, that there is perhaps a time and a place where divine strength shows up in a way that cannot possibly be attributed, again, to a, a slim and tiny 16-year-old and 14-year-old girl lifting a 3,000-pound tractor. Uh, perhaps that's what was happening in this story. God was at work in it and through it. Uh, again, I put that in there just because it is a biblical gift. Apologetics, coming to the end. This doesn't mean apologizing. This is an area uh, of 
Christian teaching and thought where we are making a, dis a defense of the faith. And, and there's a lot of tough questions that people have about Christianity, about the Bible, about Jesus. So people who deal in apologetics, again, they're not apologizing, which is a bit of a misleading word, because uh, when someone's apologetic in our lives, we usually think of them going, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry all the time. And that's not what this is about, because the word comes from the Greek apologia, which means a defense. And so Jesus, in Luke chapter 12, told his apostles, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, when you're being persecuted and you are put on trial, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. When you are there and the faith is under attack and you are under attack, the Holy Spirit will give you the apologia, will give you the defense. He will give you the words that you need. And so apologetic simply means defending the faith. And it's often engaging on an intellectual level, right? How do we intellectually wrestle with the tough questions that people ask us? And so as that happens, the gift is obviously not just intellectual, but the Holy Spirit can give insight, can give revelation, can give understanding that help us to do that. So there is a, a large church in the Toronto area called The Meeting House, and Bruxy Cavey is the pastor there. You've heard me mention him before. Uh, I don't agree with everything Bruxy says, but he's a, a very good Bible teacher. It's an Anabaptist church, so we, we are in line with them theologically. And uh, one of the things Bruxy does every Sunday, he preaches his sermon, and then he has an open mic, and anyone in the church can ask a question about anything at all. It's honestly my nightmare. And it's a big church. Like, there's a 1,000 people at their home base, and then they have multiple campuses. So there's a 1,000 people there. And this church is wired in such a way, they've set themselves up uh, to be what we sometimes call a seeker-sensitive church. And so they say, we want to be a place where unsaved people can come and ask their questions, where people who are unsure about Jesus or have questions about Jesus, where they can come, and, and hopefully we can answer some of those questions. And so the crowd of a 1,000 people on a Sunday morning tend to be people who are either not Christian or maybe just curious and uh, tend to be a bit cynical about the Bible, tend to maybe be a bit cynical about religion or about God in general, can be cynical about Christians. And so that's the group that he's saying, any questions? And so they record this all. So I listen to his sermon regularly. And, and so the types of questions they get asked are tough questions, right? Like, why? Why do you believe that this Bible is the word of God? How can you believe that Jesus is alive? If God is so good, then why didn't he stop the Holocaust, right? And maybe you've been asked questions like this at work. As these questions come to Bruxy, I've been listening to him for years. I've never seen him stumped once. Like not one time has a question come where he didn't have an answer there in the moment. And that's where you go, yeah, that's not just because he studied hard and has intellectually wrestled with some things. That's a Holy Spirit gifting showing up. Jesus said, in the moment, you're going to have what you need. And Bruxy he does. And it's an amazing gift. The rest of us can lean on people like that because I don't have the answers to all these tough questions. And, and if you've ever been confronted at work or, or by family members, people who are gifted in this way are a tremendous blessing to the rest of us because they have answers. They have wrestled through that can help us along and be a blessing to us. All right, we're just about done. Worship team, come on up and we will wrap up in just a moment. So there are other gifts that we have not covered yet in this series. And we just kind of had to make a decision on what we were going to cover. And so as we were deciding which gifts we would look at in this series, we just decided we're going to look at things that the Bible specifically calls a gift, 
or even if it doesn't use that word, make it very clear that the Holy Spirit is the one doing it, like Samson and his strength. Uh, and we just wanted to be faithful to the text in that way. And so we've only looked at the ones that are specifically called a gift in Scripture uh, or are clearly a move of the Spirit. So, for example, the Bible never calls worship uh, a gift. And, and yet... Anyone want to say that's not a gift, right, to us on a Sunday morning? Uh, these guys do this week after week. Uh, so, of course, this is a gift. And just because the Bible doesn't mention it specifically doesn't mean that there aren't other gifts that just aren't in there. The Bible doesn't say, you know what, some of you are specifically going to be really gifted at working with children, and you're just going to have a rapport with them and a connection, or with youth. Uh, and that doesn't mean that those aren't spiritual gifts as well. The Bible doesn't say some people are going to be gifted at working with special needs kids, even though that's an incredible way that God's grace can be ministered through you. The Bible doesn't say some of us are going to be great at computers and technology because they weren't around back then, but that doesn't mean that those aren't gifts given by God. Some of us are mechanical. Some of us love uh, cutting the grass and working in the garden because we love the, the nature of it, and those things can all be gifts as well. So if you feel like you haven't specifically heard something uh, that applies to you, I mean, some of those things I just mentioned might fit under the umbrella of other gifts we've looked at, like leadership or serving, but the, the heart of what Peter said was there are ways in which God's grace is looking to minister through you. And so one of the ways that we can help find our gifts while we're searching is to say, well, what do I do naturally? Where do I find myself close to God naturally? If it's out in the garden, then maybe that's a way that you can serve and use your gifts to bless somebody else. If it's working with kids, then maybe that's a place that you should be serving and helping other children. Uh, there's a lot of ways that the grace of God shows up in our lives. And so if you have questions about any of this, we're going to wrap up the message next week. We have important things we still have to talk about, which we'll get to next Sunday. But we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have any questions about the message today or how do we find our gifts or anything, we'd be happy to chat with you about that. And as Peter said in 1 Peter 4.10 in our text today, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. Your gift is not for you. Your gift is to be a blessing to others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The many, 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 many ways that God's grace can show up in us as we minister to others, we want to be faithful to walk in that. And whatever you have, you have something. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And God's call to you is be faithful to walk in that. Be faithful to steward that so that others can experience the grace of God through you as you do that. God can reach people through you using your gift, and he'll touch lives through that, which is an amazing thing. We're going to spend some time in one more worship song before we go. Uh, I'll ask you to stand to your feet and join in with us, and we will close in just a few minutes. service this morning um, we are going to have a team of people who are readily available to pray with you and I encourage you um, to come forward and let us pray for you as we discern what gifts God has given us the only way we are going to find out is through prayer and seeking him um, and if you would like to visit and continue hanging out I just ask that you do that in the lobby to respect those that are praying here in the service so let's close with a word of prayer Heavenly Father, I thank you that where our sin runs so deep, God, your grace is so much more. God, your mercy is more. Your faithfulness is more. God, I thank you that you give us gifts, but mostly I thank you for the gift of forgiveness, Father, that we have that accessible to us, that we can take that gift that you are so readily wanting to give us, Lord, 
So I just ask that you would make that the desire of our hearts, Father, that we would see where we fall short, but Lord, where you can pick us up. And God, I just ask that as we leave this place, as we seek you in finding our gifts, God, that we would want to serve you through those. God, that you would reveal to us how uniquely you have made us, God, that we would see the gifts that you've given us and we would want to use them to further your kingdom, God. So we ask these things in your name and we ask that you bless us as we leave this place. In your name, amen. Have a good Sunday, everyone.